From the Annie E. Casey Foundation, I'm Lisa Hamilton, and this is CaseyCast. At the Casey Foundation, we work to build a brighter future for children and families, and this work entails helping to reform our nation's juvenile justice system. Within this system, probation is the most likely outcome for young people in juvenile courts, the end result of roughly a third of all delinquency cases nationally. This means that according to the most recent data, about 155,000 young people are placed on probation by courts each year, and many more are placed on probation informally. With me today to help explain these numbers and what it means for youth is David Muhammad, who serves as the executive director of the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform. Improving juvenile probation is a topic that David knows very well. It's a focal point of his work with the Institute, which lends expertise and assistance to a variety of organizations that are transforming the country's juvenile and criminal justice systems. David has worked on the front lines of this field for a long time, including posts as the chief probation officer of the Alameda County Probation Department in California and the deputy commissioner of New York City's Department of Probation. Welcome, David. It's so exciting to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, to get this conversation started, why don't we talk a little bit about what probation is? Lots of people have heard the term, but may not really know what's required or especially what's required for young people. Could you talk a bit about what probation is and how it works in the juvenile justice system? Certainly. Uh, Probation is probably the least known factor in the justice system while being the largest component of the justice system. So the vast majority of people in the justice system, both adult and juvenile, are uh, in the probation system. On the juvenile side, uh, probation has uh, a number of functions. It, it, it plays the intake function. When youth are arrested, all of them are sent to probation to either hold in detention uh, while they're going through their adjudication or court process. Uh, they also, the probation department determines kind of which youth get sent to the district attorney's office or prosecutor's office for prosecution. Uh, and then once the uh, uh, case is decided, the vast majority of youth get placed on probation for supervision. Uh, And that can be based upon where you're on the country. That could be one year, two years, seven years, Mm. um, up until either your 18th or 19th birthday. And and different jurisdictions have different uh, cutoffs uh, in age time. Uh, But the probation departments around the country uh, serve the vast majority uh, of youth and families in the system. Uh, And just one note on its start. So John Augustus in Boston in the 1800s created probation. What happened is he went to court. A guy was being uh, charged with larceny, and he asked the judge, could you not uh, send the guy to jail, and I'm going to teach him how to be a shoe cobbler like he was, John Augustus. Um, and his old saying that no good deed goes unpunished, so ju- the judge kept calling John back uh, to court to have him work with people. Um, and the first probation laws in the country in Massachusetts are called the John Augustus laws. Um, and it's unfortunate that we've come so far away from what that was, which was A, an alternative to custody, mm-hmm. B, a support and a, jo- a job uh, training and placement. Uh, and that's how probation was created. And that's what we need to get back to uh, mm-hmm. because we've gone far away from that original design uh, of probation. So what actually happens with young people on probation? Is it just checking in, making sure that they um, are where they're supposed to be? Give folks a sense of what actually happens when a young person's on probation. 
Yeah, so what it, what it mostly amounts to is a young person having to check in with their probation officer, depending upon the level of supervision they're on. It's either once a month or twice a month or once a week. Uh, and then often the probation department with their colleagues, with other probation officers, come to that young person's house and uh, conduct searches. Uh, when they have these check-ins, they often have uh, drug tests. Um, and still to this day, uh, for the majority of youth on probation, that's what it is. Mm. The other thing that's very important is when they're placed on probation by the court, they're often given a long list of conditions. Mm. Go to school and go to class every single day. Check in with your probation officer one or two or three times a month. Don't use any drugs. Um, do whatever your probation officer says. That's on all of that's the catch-all phrase on many of the lists of conditions. Uh, and it can go on and on and on. And in the court where the young person and their family don't know court speak, they don't know what's going on, uh, then they at some point get a list of conditions that they have to comply with. Uh, it is not uh, um, infrequent that they sometimes don't comply uh, to every single uh, detailed condition of probation. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, uh, they are now subject to arrest and incarceration, uh, even if they come late to a meeting with a probation officer. Mm. And so, um, you know, what we've we, we often talk about it, Casey, is how this then becomes a pipeline to incarceration, that um, this long list of conditions um, is rarely anything an adult could comply with, that this is really That's counter it. to what we know about young people. Yeah, many, youth, many adults can even understand the list of conditions. <laughs> um, even when we're supposedly doing good, right, mm -hmm. sending youth to programs, um, I have seen many times a youth has program A on Monday and program B on Wednesday and program C on Friday, and if they don't go to every class, they can get violated. Or sometimes that, that drug treatment class they're going to, when they have no history of drug treatment, mm -hmm. drug usage, mm -hmm. um, sometimes conflicts with the job that they might have. And the PO will tell them, you have to go to the class and not go to work. Um, it really is difficult uh, to comply with these long lists. Uh, sometimes the conditions conflict with one another, um, and uh, sometimes the program that they're being sent to isn't being operated uh, appropriately or doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and all of the time, when everything, anything goes wrong, the only person who gets held accountable is the young person. Uh, and that often leads to uh, incarceration, uh, mm. violations of probation, uh, which are really disproportionately affecting uh, children of color, uh, often lead uh, to incarceration. There's many juvenile detention centers around the country that the majority of admissions are not for young people committing new acts of delinquency or, or, or offenses, but therefore violations of probation. Mm. So how does probation impact young people? I, uh, we certainly understand that the consequences of not complying can be incarceration, but what's the experience like for a young person who's on probation? Are there other impacts that people just may not appreciate? Well, there, there is now uh, a wealth of knowledge and studies and research that shows involvement uh, in the juvenile justice system in and of itself, um, even controlling for other factors uh, like poverty and education and neighborhood, that involvement in the justice system, and again, primarily that's probation, 
makes young people have worse outcomes. Mm. So you're much more likely to drop out of school and you're much more likely to uh, later have adult uh, incarceration experience because of your involvement in the justice system. Uh, and so just you know, one story, there was a young man who was 10th grade, uh, working with his family. This was a few years ago. Uh, he was doing well in school. He had swimming lessons after school. Uh, he's trying to impress a young girl. He had a pocket knife in his pocket that he took from his father's uh, uh, room um, and trying to impress some girl. He did something really stupid, you know, with threatening another student with a knife. Uh, no one was hurt. He had never been in trouble before. Uh, he was arrested. He was held in juvenile hall for 35 days. Uh, when his mother came to see him, he didn't talk to her. And when he finally got out, he said, had I started talking, I would have cried. And had I cried, I'd have really been singled out and have uh, been messed with inside of the facility. When he got out, he was placed on electronic monitoring, though there was no reason for him to be placed on electronic mm -hmm. monitoring. Mm -hmm. That made him not, unable to go to his swim lessons. Um, and, and, and most often when it, in that scenario, young people get deeper into the system. So mm -hmm. you go in having no connection with other young people who commit delinquent acts. Now you're in a facility full of young people who've been accused of delinquent acts. You sometimes now associate more with young people who are now getting in trouble, often because of their engagement in the justice system. Mm -hmm. uh, you now can't go to the enrichment that your family mm -hmm. had connected you to, mm -hmm. like in this case, the swimming lesson. Um, and you've missed now 30 days of school. He was a B student in, in uh, its 10th grade of high school. Uh, and so the damage uh, that uh, the, the justice system causes, that probation causes, uh, is significant. And the other big thing I'll say is the fines and fees. Mm -hmm. And so when you're on probation, your family is given fines and fees to pay for the probation officer, to pay for the report the probation department submits to the court, wow. to pay for any days that you spent in juvenile hall. Uh, and of course, we're talking about the vast majority of young people in the system come from uh, impoverished families mm -hmm. and uh, neighborhoods. So we're um, compounding the stress on their families, um, uh, both by having them participate in this system, but then also financially burdening their families as well. Absolutely. We're making youth and families worse, not better. Mm, mm. So, David, you've talked about the impact on individual young people who are involved in the justice system and even some impact for their families with this fees and fines issue. But how does um, involvement in the juvenile justice system impact local communities as well? Well, even if we just stick with the money uh, question, it, it costs on average about $150 per year per youth for their involvement in the justice system. Uh, that's a lot of money. Uh, and when you look at the concentration of youth uh, in small pockets in neighborhoods that are already suffering from poverty, from low-performing schools, from the proliferation of liquor stores, from the easy access to guns and drugs, uh, then you have this significant amount of taxpayer money are not going to develop those communities to improve those schools, to have economic development for those families, but going uh, toward an ineffective, harmful, and excessively ex uh, expensive system. Uh, and so it really continues uh, to deteriorate neighborhoods when you have a large numbers of young people in the system. Uh, and when you can draw a map uh, uh, about a, on a system of where the young people come from, mm -hmm. they often come uh, from these uh, concentrated neighborhoods of, of, of poverty, blight, and, and low-performing schools. Uh, there's a project that was called the Million Dollar Blocks in New Orleans and in New York and Chicago that looked at 
these short blocks that had millions of dollars being spent mm. uh, to pluck these people out of their neighborhoods, put them in isolation for some time, and then put them back into their uninvested in community. Mm. And that's what happens to young people. Uh, and it is further uh, destroying the communities. And there, it's an enormous amount of resource that could be going to develop those communities. Mm. And you mentioned the cost of incarceration. But when we've got young people on probation for years at a time, what's the cost even of of um, supervision uh, for young people? Well, it's enormous. And remember, the probation departments uh, around the country also run the juvenile detention centers and they uh, run uh, juvenile supervision. So generally, the cost of a probation officer in in many places runs on average about $125,000, much higher in places like California, New York, Mm -hmm. but about $125,000. That means salary, benefits, equipment. Uh, And so that's for every probation officer. Uh, and because of supervision, right, we have a lot of uh, probation officers in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, again, you've, you have the drug tests and the monitoring and the supervision and the courts and the court dates. And it is a lot when mm-hmm. you add it all up and prosecutors and public defenders mm-hmm. and judges. Um, it, it's an enormous cost uh, for something that is not only doing not doing good, it's actually doing harm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we we really only, quote unquote, need a small fraction of the young people that are currently in the system, in that system. And that's the small number of people who are genuinely a risk to public safety. Mm. Uh, And and, and despite what we might uh, believe for those not, you know, heavily involved in this work, there's a small number of young people in the system who rise to the level of being a real threat to public safety. That is a a, a really important um, thing for for folks to understand is the the stunning amount of resources that are consumed in this process that um, really aren't going to creating the kinds of opportunities, positive opportunities for young people uh, that we want them to have. Um, So I want to turn a bit, I guess, to um, uh, what we should be doing uh, for yeah. young people. Uh, and uh, if probation isn't uh, the answer, or at least the way probation is currently practiced isn't the answer, what should we be doing uh, with these young people? Are there are uh, other strategies we need to be employing to help them have the positive outcomes we want them to have? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a phrase, we need to reduce improve and reinvest. In the last 10 years, we've had a significant reduction, about almost a 60% reduction in youth incarcerated. Um, And while that is a significant success, we can do a lot more uh, because we still have more, nearly 200,000 youth on uh, on probation supervision uh, in the country. Uh, And so we need to significantly reduce the number of youth uh, in the juvenile justice system. And then that will produce um, uh, considerable savings, um, and we need to then reinvest uh, those savings in youth, in families, in community. And so what you would have is uh, about uh, 25% of the current number of youth in the system is probably the amount, and very likely even smaller, who would remain, meaning they need some level of engagement with the system because mm-hmm. of their high risk of being in uh, public safety risk. And then the rest of the, that enormous amount of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, should go to 
developing communities, should go to those communities that were hardest hit, hit by mass incarceration, should go to develop those communities to provide services for young people in the way of educational assistance and job preparation and placement and college assistance and, and mental health services and drug treatment services and housing, and, and as well as that for families and, and economic development in those communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to achieve the kind of reductions that you are talking about, I think we ought to start with um, what I think the science often tells us is that um, most of these young people, even though they have gotten into trouble or been involved in some delinquent behavior, actually don't need anything, any intervention um, after uh, uh something happens. Could you speak more about sort of brain science and what it tells us about just how young people grow up with the normal development process um, will create, um, which means we don't need to have all these young people um, supervised or incarcerated? And this is a point that I must say I had to learn and accept and develop because, you know, I was all about let's hire good POs and, and, and do good stuff with young people. And while I still think that that's incredibly important with the few youth you have left, um, what the science shows is the best thing is to do nothing. And that is so difficult to <laughs> comprehend from kind of just the lay person in the community who sees, mm-hmm. you know, this young person stole my neighbor's car or stole my car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to accept that doing nothing is better than engaging them is hard to accept. And I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of things. One, the science actually says that. It's actually better <laughs> just to leave them alone, and they will age out of delinquent behavior mm-hmm. uh, and won't be sucked into a system that makes them worse. Uh, but the other thing is when we have intervention, especially for youth who are not uh, at the high-risk spectrum, that intervention shouldn't be a justice intervention. Mm. It should be community services. It should be restorative in nature, restorative justice programs, mentoring, educational assistance, and so we, we're beginning to see some examples of that. I, as as we're talking, I'm at the county building in Los Angeles working with the probation department, and they have they have taken, because it's a gargantuan department, they've taken <laughs> millions of dollars and put them in a, a non-justice uh, uh, agency called the Office of Diversion and Reentry mm-hmm. um, to let that agency work with young people at low-risk levels. They've given another uh, $11 million and gave it to a community foundation for that community foundation to procure services from uh, from nonprofit organizations. And this is, they got to do more of that, <laughs> but because uh, that's only a, a time part of their $900 million a year budget. Mm. Um, but that is the beginnings of uh, doing what we need to do is reinvesting money from mm. the system into the community and providing positive youth development approaches. And, and when we provide those services, not from a justice standpoint, and, and I'll just give one more story from LA about how they got to this place, because they got to it from a a, ch- a very difficult place mm. where um, thousands of young people were on what was being called voluntary probation, which meant these were young people who had not committed any criminal offense, mm. um, but they were, quote unquote, at risk, and they were being given a probation officer. Mm. Uh, and this had happened for years at the cost of millions of dollars. And 
thankfully, the new administration at the probation department in L.A. Uh, has eliminated uh, this practice, and that's how you have some of those dollars being put into the community. Because it's not like those young people don't need something. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. just don't need a probation officer. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Uh, they don't need searches and, and, and monitors and mm-hmm. surveillance. Uh, they need adults in the community who care about them to engage them. So that's what um, we often hear terms like diversion and community-based alternatives. If you could just help listeners understand um, what that means in in practical terms, what kinds of supports young people um, end up having access to. Absolutely. Something, in fact, I'll give an example that we're doing in Oakland is called the Neighborhood Opportunity and Accountability Board, where when a a, a police officer in the Oakland Police Department is arresting a young person for delinquent acts, say, a theft, uh, that they are, instead of taking them to probation-run detention center to be processed and later be placed on probation, they're taking them to a community center. Uh, and that community center is community members and service providers working with that young person. And then they go before a council of neighborhood uh, leaders. Mm. And that council of neighborhood leaders has a series of uh, services. They have restorative justice. They have mentoring and case management and educational assistance and family counseling that they have available to them. Uh, what they don't have available to them is detention <laughs> or incarceration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what's called a diversion, right? So young people who would otherwise be formally going through the system, they're diverted to an alternative, right? And there's several different alternatives. And and, and then there are alternatives even while you're in the system, right? Mm-hmm. So something that the Casey Foundation's Juvenile Detention Alternatives Initiative really made successful is something called evening reporting centers. Mm. So say you have a young person with a more serious case and they need to actually go to court. That doesn't mean they need to be locked up while they go to court. And so in Cook County, Illinois, and in Washington, D.C., uh, and in many other places around the country, they have these things called evening reporting centers where instead of being locked up while going to court, Every day after school, you go to a community center and get help with homework mm-hmm. and then some type of enrichment, a music studio, a computer lab, a basketball, and then you get driven home by the staff uh, uh, after uh, the Even Reporting Center uh, closes. And, and in D.C., where I worked, um, we for five years did this, and 96% of the youth, hundreds of youth we put into this program, showed up to court and did not have a new offense uh, during that process. Mm. Uh, and so you can be really successful in having either outright diversions entirely from the system mm-hmm. or alternatives to detention. With data like that, what makes it so difficult to get systems to yeah. pursue other strategies? <laughs> you know, it is, it, it's quite incredible, right, because you often have probation departments saying, well, we need, you know, an evidence-based practice and show me your uh, outcome evaluation, which is fine, right? The irony is uh, the probation system doesn't have any evidence of effectiveness. In fact, the evidence shows that it's not the effective. Opposite. <laughs> They're quite the opposite. Um, and we're really slow uh, to change. Bureaucracies are extraordinarily difficult uh, to change. Um, and, and, and the other thing I just have to say here, because it's something that is going to be very difficult when we start being serious about reform is we have to start partnering with unions in a way where we understand that we want to keep labor working, mm-hmm. but we also have to hold people accountable because sometimes, sometimes you have government officials, not all the time, sometimes you have government officials who want to make reforms and changes, uh, and then they're held back uh, because uh, not not the people doing the work, but the union representatives mm-hmm. 
uh, are threatened by it. And so, you know, we don't like to talk about that a lot uh, mm-hmm. in the reform world because, you know, we're progressives and, and, and in our larger politic, uh, we are very in, in, in lockstep with unions, but we, we have to start being honest around some of the barriers uh, to reform. Because I think what you're revealing uh, or acknowledging is that um, there are thousands of adults employed in this system that incarcerates and supervises uh, these young people. And so um, that obviously is a part of what makes it difficult sometimes in order to pursue different approaches that um, might create opportunities in different parts of the community, but maybe not in these sort of concentrated facilities. Precisely right. In, in Wayne County, Illinois, where Detroit is, uh, they eliminated a large swath of their formal probation officer position. Um, but it made so many opportunities uh, for those individuals who wanted to do good work with youth to work in the community systems that were created to replace mm-hmm. it. Um, and there's, there's other examples. In Washington, D.C. right now, um, the, the, the system reduced the number of youth in uh, private, out-of-area residential placements and brought those young people home and then invested the savings from mm-hmm. not spending the enormous amount of money on private placements mm-hmm. in something called credible messenger mentoring, mm-hmm. which is people in the community providing mentoring to those young people. Uh, and so we have these small glimpses of uh, this department's doing this little thing and that department's doing that little thing. What we need to do is bring it all together mm-hmm. and make it the system uh, that's most ideal. Well, you've um, certainly helped us understand that lots of young people don't need to be supervised or, or incarcerated, that there are um, ways we need to be reinvesting in uh, positive youth development opportunities rather than uh, these sort of punitive mechanisms. Um, But you do acknowledge that there might be um, a number of young people who still need to be a part of the probation system. And that's a part of what the Casey Foundation's report last year helped to highlight. What is an alternative vision um, for probation for this smaller group of young people who might who might need it? And so I'd like to explore with you what um, what a reimagine what would probation look like in the future? What what is it that you think we're we're getting wrong and what could it be? Absolutely. And so with the caveat that um, we're talking about a significantly less uh, number population of youth who would uh, be under supervision from a probation department. Um, and one thing is we, because of the years of, of punitive deficit-based juvenile justice system uh, behavior, uh, we might even want to go away from the name probation mm-hmm. or juvenile justice system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, regardless of what it's named, we're talking about a system that builds on the strengths and assets of young people, that engages families, cares about families and communities. Uh, and so when we have a young person uh, who does need some involvement uh, in the system, um, then we need to assess their strengths, assess their needs, and then develop a plan with the youth and the family at the table. Mm. Develop a plan that will connect them to services and supports and opportunities that build on their strengths and address their needs. Mm. And so we need to shift the job of a probation officer to be one who is responsible and held accountable to developing with the youth and their family goals 
within a certain level of domains like education mm. and employment and housing and if, if it's an issue, mental health and drug uh, a treatment and connection, meaning like mentoring, or, mm-hmm. uh, and then determining what, what are the, for instance, what are the three greatest needs in those domains mm-hmm. and which of the three are the biggest needs. And then let's develop a goal in each of those three. In education, we want to get you uh, your high school diploma and employment, we want to get you a job. In connection, we want to get you a mentoring. And then that's going to be the focus of our time on probation. Mm-hmm. And my job as a PO is, A, to identify those with you and then connect you to a community service that's going to help you achieve the goal. Mm. And then once I've done that, my job as PO is just to be kind of quality assurance on how is that going? Mm-hmm. How is the job program going? How is the mentoring going? How is the, the tutoring going mm-hmm. that we connected you with? Um, and obviously to ensure the young person's not engaging in any, any continued delinquent acts, mm-hmm. but they won't if those connections are going well. Mm-hmm. And th- that's how we have to shift the work of probation and the job description of a probation officer. Mm. It sounds more like a life coach, David, than it does. That's exactly right. An officer. <laughs> um, I'm curious about the role of families in this work. When we talk about juvenile justice, we rarely hear um, lots of conversation about the role of a family to help uh, this young person succeed. Um, could you talk a bit more about what the vision might be about how to engage families in um, supporting this young person's aspirations and um, goals. Absolutely. When that plan uh, that I mentioned is developed um, to determine what are the greatest needs and strengths of this young person and, and, and how do we connect them to services to build on those strengths and address those needs, the family has to be front and center and really be leading that conversation. Mm-hmm. It might be facilitated by the system, and the system certainly should be responsible for resourcing that plan, uh, but at the head of that discussion is the youth and their family. Uh, because regardless of how long, and sometimes it's too long, the system are involved in young people's mm-hmm. lives, regardless of how long they are involved, what will still be there always is that young person's family and their community. So that should be prioritized. Mm-hmm. How do we get a good, positive connection to the family and to the community? And we're never going to be successful, quote-unquote, serving the youth in isolation of their family. So we have to be able to provide family strengthening and connection and family counseling if need be uh, and support to the members in that family. Uh, and I've, I've had this discussion with probation officers in places around the country. They say, well, we're only meant to serve and, and authorized to serve the, the youth. young person. Uh-huh. The young person. Mm-hmm. I said, but if, if you're going to be successful, <laughs> then mm-hmm. you must serve that family mm-hmm. because that's where that young person is living and going back to if mm-hmm. they're uh, in custody. Um, and, and again, if we, we strip all of this kind of bravado law enforcement stuff that we can get involved in, we want to support families. Uh, and again, the vast majority of youth in the system are families who have struggled, uh, who have struggled with employment and have, ish, had ish, have gone through poor performing schools and live in uh, neighborhoods of concentrated poverty. And we need to support these families uh, and these neighborhoods. Wonderful. I think that is extraordinary advice. Um, So you've given us a couple of examples of success stories. Do you have others where you have seen uh, systems get it right? And uh, what kinds of uh, successes are they having? So a a couple. Uh, On the reduction note, um, when I was uh, um, leaving Oakland in 2004 to go to D.C., 
uh, to be a deputy director of the justice system there. There was an argument about building a new juvenile detention center, and it was going to be the largest per capita juvenile hall uh, in the country with mm-hmm. 560 beds. And Van Jones, who was just a local advocate then, mm-hmm. um, fought uh, to not have uh, this facility build. And there was also some, you know, some NIMBY, some neighborhood stuff where they were going to build the facility. And th- th- those two things went over. And so they built a smaller facility in a different place. But they still built a 360-bed a facility. Uh, today, there are 60 youth in mm. that facility. Mm. Um, so we certainly didn't need a 560-bed facility, but <laughs> right. we didn't need a 360-bed facility, right? right? And so, um, and part of that is using the principles of the Justice Detention Alternatives Initiative of the Annie Casey Foundation, which is, you know, assess youth's risk level um, using a validated, unbiased risk assessment. Uh, and young people who are low risk should never be touched by the system. They shouldn't certainly shouldn't be detained by the system. Uh, young people should be allowed to go home, uh, even if they're going to go through the court process, go home, have some sort of alternative. I talked about even in reporting centers, which which we started in, in Alameda County. Um, and then have the have the default, have the normal decision to be to go home mm-hmm. and only reserve detention for a small number in, of higher risk young people. And again, that's a probation function. Uh, and, and that's what happened in Alameda County and in and, and, and other places uh, like Washington, D.C., where JDI has been very uh, successful. Uh, and again, when young people do need some time out from the community, uh, the state of Missouri, uh, you know, got it right. They're kind of the first to get it right on having facilities that are education-focused, rehabilitation-focused, treatment-oriented for those young people who need treatment, uh, not punitive, not, not, not prison-like, but more community college-like. Mm. Uh, and so there are, there's hope out there, right? Um, and, uh, but we have a long way to go still. Mm. That we do. Well, I appreciate the vision and the uh, practical perspective you have brought to this conversation, helping us understand that the science really tells us most young people don't need any intervention, uh, but those that might need uh, support, we can think about how to do that in very different ways than we've been pursuing in this country uh, for many, many years to keep them in their communities, to really focus on their strengths and really put them on the path to success, to focus on on the opportunities that that they need to have rather than uh, sort of the the supervision and compliance and punitive approaches uh, that we have been uh, pursuing in the past. So thank you for giving us a a vision of something very different. And thank you so much for all the work that you are doing to help reform juvenile justice systems across the country. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And thank you and all the great work at the Annie Casey Foundation. Thank you so much. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please rate our show on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. You can ask questions and leave us feedback on Twitter by using the CaseyCast hashtag. To learn more about Casey, the work of our guests, and to download the Foundation's report on probation, you can find our show notes at aecf.org forward slash podcast. Also, if you're interested in improving juvenile justice, join our free online community of professionals and advocates at jdaiconnect.org. Until next time, I wish all of America's kids and all of you a bright future.